0: It's Guys, Guy Radio. Here's your host, Robert Manny.
1: Okay, welcome to Guys, Guys Radio. This is your host, Robert Manny, welcoming you to the show where men and women can be at their best. Everyone wins. Guys, Guys Radio here on KCAA in Southern California. We've got a great show for you today. We're going to talk to Mike Papantonio. He's a powerhouse attorney, and I would call him like a consumer advocate because he and his teams, they take on a lot of... Big businesses who uh, kind of uh, sometimes misbehave, if you will, and with dire consequences for the consumer. So it's nice that there are people in powerful positions who are really competent, who are out there looking at protecting us from sometimes predatory corporations. Now, not all corporations are bad and not all of them are irresponsible, but, you know, when you're making billions of dollars and you gotta, you got to make that shareholder happy, uh sometimes your consciousness uh takes a takes a back seat to profit making. So it's fortunate for us that we have advocates like Mike Pampantonio fighting for us. He's written a series of novels uh using the power of story to talk about various industries. He's taken on asbestos, he's taken on, I believe, uh weapons and uh tobacco, and now his latest latest book is about opioids and who doesn't have some type of story or relationship to somebody who's had some type of issue with opioids. And, you know, I have I had to take opioids after surgery uh, because I had to take painkillers. So I took them for a couple of days and I stopped. And I didn't, you know, for me personally, I didn't get high or anything off of them. But I guess everybody reacts differently. And uh, I think Mike's going to tell us about that. It takes only a couple of weeks for people to get hooked on a lot of these. So you have to be really careful. we're going to learn a lot about that and about Mike's work. What else is going on in Guy's Guy's world? Well, here I am, ready to celebrate my first holiday season moving from New York City to uh, Southern California. So far, I'm loving it. It's really cool. Uh, People are nice. And uh, it's just a nice time of year, wherever you are, where you can kind of give a big group hug to your friends and family and celebrate job well done during the year. And in this case, during the decade, because this is our last holiday season of the the teens, if you will, uh, and then we're getting it to 2020. Wow, new decade! So get ready to make a fresh start and enjoy the rest of this month. Uh, there's a lot of December birthdays this month, and I don't know how it is in your family, but in my family, we've got three or four, and I have a lot of friends who have December birthdays. I don't know. I guess in March, it gets it's kind of a long, cold winter, and uh, moms and dads get busy, and they have they have kids in December, whatever. But uh, my my birthdays this month. I'm actually three days before Christmas. So uh, what was interesting, people say, oh, did you get gypped out of presents You know, for Christmas? And you know, I didn't because I always got, um, unfortunately for me, my birthday is before Christmas, three days before. So there's enough of a gap between my birthday and Christmas where it doesn't get in the way of Christmas. People are not just paying attention to Christmas. It's a nice first celebration, if you will, when I was a kid, I'd usually get some money on my birthday and then presents on Christmas, so I was always accounted for. I thank my parents for that, for being wise about that, and that was great. I feel bad for people who have their birthdays like December 26th or 27th or something like that because it's right after Christmas. People are like, oh, now your birthday, but uh, there's lots of lots of December babies for some reason, and uh, you know, there's the Sagittarius group, and there's the Capricorn group. I am right on the cusp, so I'm like a crazy Capricorn or a a more staid Sagittarius, depending on how you look at it. I don't even know what sign to look at because my birthday is kind of right on the borderline there. But anyhow, that's another story for another show. So let's get ready to get into it with our special guest, Mike Papantonio, on Guys Guys Radio. All right, Guys Guys Radio, your host, Robert Manny. As I mentioned, we've got a very special guest today. His name is Mike. Pampantonio, and he is a kick-butt senior partner at Levin Pampantonio, one of the country's largest plaintiff law firms. He uses cases that he uh, uh, takes on to write novels. Uh, He tells his information to us through the power of story. He's taken on Big Pharma, tobacco, the auto industry, anything that has to do with corporate greed. My background, I don't know if I've mentioned this on Guys Guys Radio, but for many years, I was on the client side at Big Pharma. Fortune 100 corporations. I also worked on the advertising side, representing a lot of those brands in their communications. And it's really interesting what you find out when you're on the inside and how the corporations think. Mike's newest book is called Law and Addiction, a legal thriller. He's got a uh, core character, his name is Deke, and he uh, appears in uh, different uh, of Mike's books. And Mike is really, he is amazing guy. He is a well-known media presence. He is America's lawyer on the RT, American Television Network, and he's co-host of his own radio show called Ring of Fire. He's also a musician athlete. He's from uh, Pensacola, Florida. That's where he is, at least. And welcome to Guys Guys Radio, Mike Papantonio. Thanks for being with us, Mike.
0: Robert, thank you for the invitation. I appreciate it.
1: All right, let's get right to it. What inspired you to – let's start at the beginning to to write novels about these corporate greed issues – what inspired you to say, I'm going to take these guys on and I'm going to actually use the power of story instead of kind of nonfiction writing?
0: Yeah, for about 18 years, uh, I've done actually media. I've done MSNBC, uh, Fox, uh, <laughs> you know, all the way back to something called Air America days. It might have been it just it was two mm-hmm. decades ago. So so what, what I learned is this. I learned that corporate media rarely tells the story. And the reason for that is because advertisers don't let them. For example, if I were to try to have told this story on opioids uh, 15 years ago, all you have to do is turn on your television and you see that every eight minutes there's a new ad for some drug company. Exactly. Well, yeah, so these were drug companies. Understand, it was U.S. drug companies that created this catastrophe, but you know what, Robert? They didn't do it alone. What you had is a whole cast of characters. You First of all, you had a dysfunctional media that was ordered. Don't tell the backstory because we're paying you $10 million a year in advertising. And if you tell the story, we're going to pull your money. Second of all, you had regulators that were owned and operated by the industry. They were no longer regulators. The American public thought, well, maybe the FDA is looking over their shoulder. Surely they're going to take some kind of action. And truthfully, the FDA is just owned and operated by the drug industry, has been for 20 years. Then we thought, okay, well, there was a, there was a, there was a sign of hope where you had the attorney generals, several of them throughout the United States said, we're going to take on the issue. And they settled for peanuts. For an entire nation, you had about 23 attorney generals settle what they called the opioid crisis. This was 10 years ago. And the day after they settled, Robert, they were all over the television, all over the newspaper, proclaiming victory over the opioid catastrophe. And since that day, 150 people have died every day because of their inadequacy in doing their job. And so most of the time, what you have is an attorney general who's simply running. The AG stands for like almost governor. And so these were almost governors that thought they could get some great publicity by saying, by playing games, really. But it was all image games. It was all, it was all smoke and mirror games that these attorney generals were playing to make it look like they were accomplishing something. They accomplished nothing. They gave everything away. And you know the worst thing about it is? As they gave the case away, they then agreed to keep secret all of the documents that they had. So for, so that was, it was 10 years ago, if, if, if regulators, excuse me, if doctors had known what was in those files, if, um, if legislators had known what were in the, what were in their file cabinets and they had seen the documents that we see every day now, they would have taken action. But no, it was the attorney generals that said, Hey, this is all about politics. I'm just moving on to governor. Let me go ahead and get it over with. So I'm able to tell stories in this book, Law and Addiction, that nobody ever hears. You're not going to hear the backstories to how this came about. Just like the last book I did, Lawn Vengeance, the same kind of idea of how whistleblowers are victimized when they come forward and they try to point they try to point the finger at a corporation that they know has created conduct that's criminal caliber conduct. And so as I as I step away from it and I say, you you begin by why why did you do this? How does it develop? I suppose it comes from just doing this for 35 years where you're used to saying a side of the American culture that nobody else really sees or understands. And that is that uh, there's not a day that goes by, Robert, where I'm not, you know, somehow across the table from some sociopath corporate CEO, whether it's an environmental case, whether it's Wall Street Uh, you know, Wall Street thugs stealing money from mom and pop, whether it's a pharmaceutical company that's creating a drug that's creating, uh, causing a liver to shut down. Every day, that's what I do. And so I realize the only way you can get these stories out here is to do books. And the reason these books do well is because people, you know, they walk away and they say, it was a good book. I learned something. It was a fiction, but most important, I learned something that I did not know before I read that book and that's that's the goal of all this
1: got it got it great answer um I had mentioned earlier on that I had worked for a uh, corporation so I'm going to give you one example I worked for a big mega Goliath food company and I worked as a brand manager and we developed new pro- I was in new products for a while and we found out that the uh, their target group was a uh, kind of a uh, well the user if you will because I don't right. want to uh, the user was predominantly teen boys, uh, about 13 years old, and they Mm -hmm. ate about six or seven bars a week. And we decided that we would try to to develop a new candy bar to rival the top candy bars out there that the kids would want to have eight or nine times a week. So we were fishing where the fish was. The reason I mentioned that, and I want to get your opinion on it, is we didn't sit around and say, how could we make kids sick? We were just looking at how do we sell more product, how do we turn a profit. And you th- do you think it's just the the numbness of the corporate executives out there and their service to the shareholders, or that's causing this problem, whether it be food or pharmaceuticals or whatever? Or do you think that these executives are actually thinking of ways of like say, okay, how can we take advantage of the population, or is it again just all okay. about the money? Yeah, l- l-
0: let me let me answer it this way. Okay, the scenario you just laid out. I have seen with tobacco, understand that the tobacco industry understood that if they can get a child addicted to their brand of tobacco by the time they're 14 years old, then they would have brand loyalty their entire life. You get a Marlboro man smoking Marlboro, he smokes Marlboro his entire life. That's what we learned when we handled the tobacco case. We learned, as we're seeing right now, a repeat of that with Juul, where you have companies that understand we're going after kids by by putting flavors in the cigarettes you know Ali Ali orange goofy grape michael mint so they put flavors to the tobacco here's what everybody misses about the vaping saga here, here it is it's not about the vaping it's about the industry trying to get kids to make the move from vaping to traditional tobacco Mm -hmm. And so what they do is you'll have very common right now is people who both vape and smoke cigarettes because the vaping gets them addicted to to nicotine. Their goal is to get kids addicted by the age they're 14. We're seeing the documents. I mean, we look at the documents. We put it up right next to tobacco. It's the same story, exactly the same playbook, exactly the same CEOs, exactly the same PR people that are doing all this. They're using the same playbook again and again as they go forward here. So, look, it, l- let, me, let me drill down on, the, on what you just asked me because it was a very important question. If I, if I smoke, I mean, excuse me, if I drink a bottle of Jack Daniels and then I go speeding through a, uh, uh, through a, a zone where children are playing, a school zone, and I hit somebody. That's called manslaughter. I don't, I don't intend to hit that person. I don't set out to say, I'm, I intend to, to hit that person, but my conduct is so reckless that in the, in the business of law, in the criminal justice system, that, reckless, that recklessness rises up to replace intent, and that's called manslaughter. Mm-hmm. So when you talked about the candy bars no your CEOs might not have intended to say we're going to wreck havoc on kids with with health issues uh, diabetes uh, teeth age, issues right? yeah. we're, we're not we're not going to do that intentionally but the, the recklessness of their conduct is is just replaces that intent so mm-hmm. y- you, know, you you we see this all the time what does it take for us to say, by God, yes, he went to Harvard. Yes, he's dressed up in a Brooks Brothers suit. Yes, he has a, a, a nice uh, you know, Rolex watch on. He drives, a, he drives a Bentley. What in the hell is the difference from us saying, that guy's a criminal, just like the guy on the street corner with a, this, wearing a hoodie and selling 10 ounces of marijuana? What is this difference? That we look at. Why can't we get to the point in our culture where we treat that guy the same way we do in the street corner? Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, it's interesting uh, because when I was working with candy bars, and I also have worked with beverage alcohol in the vodka business where they came up with flavors like uh, uh, bubble, which was uh, obviously an idea to kind of have a flavor profile similar to bubble gum. But we never in all those instances, like with the with the candy bars, we just looked at the data. The data said that the, the core user of the product was this age and they had x amount of product per week. And then we figured out, well, how do you how do you maximize that? That was just a discussion and it was to me it was more of a it was a numbness where nobody was really taking any responsibility as to, you know, what are we doing? And I think your term recklessness is probably the best thing because we weren't thinking like what can we do to, you know, put out a better product? And it seems what happens is in any businesses, when the consumers start demanding that you have to make these products better, like with the move towards organic, organic and no GMOs and all of that, that that's that's always it's always consumer driven. It's never corporately driven. Do you find the same thing? It's well, like consumers it, have a role. It, it,
0: it, well, yeah, consumers make the decision, but make no mistake about it. When people were smoking, they, we 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 have the documents piled up in this office. I can show you where they focused, where the tobacco industry focused in saying, how do we get a 14-year-old to stop smoking, to start smoking, and if he stops, what is our next step in trying to get him started again, okay? Wow. Wow. This is during a time where they clearly understood that, that uh, you know, it was causing cancer of all kinds. It was causing so many different diseases, but I don't, look, I don't visit that just on the tobacco industry. I see right. it all the time, man. I said, look, I just finished a case up in, uh, up in Ohio last year. Go take a look at this documentary. It's called uh, The Devil We Know. I really recommend the documentary. This will give you an insight to what we're talking about. But here was a corporation, DuPont, that decided that they wanted to make Teflon. And in the process of making Teflon, they dumped millions and millions of toxins into the Ohio River Valley that they knew was going to end up into the drinking water of 70,000 men, women, children. And when it ended up there, it caused, caused clusters of cancer. It caused birth defects. It caused neurological disease. Now, did they know about it? Yes. There was no, this wasn't hide and seek. They okay. saw this happening in their own corporation, and they did it for 50
1: years, Robert. So so is this uh, – and these type of decisions, Mike, are these strictly financially-based decisions where – what I'm what I'm getting at is I'm sure they didn't sit around and say, how can we pollute the water? But they figured, how can we save money? What's the cheapest way to get rid of the you know, the waste product, and they just dump it well, or whatever? But your, isn't is it, is that, it money driving everything?
0: Yes. Isn't it the equivalent of me? You being my neighbor, Robert, and I don't want to pay for a sewage. So I say, you know what I think I'll do. I'll just, I'll just drill under. <laughs> I'll drill under Robert's property and just dump all my sewage into his swimming. No, I'm not defending it.
1: I'm, I'm just yeah trying but, to get but, at the uh, motivation, and it always well, seems to okay, be the dollar.
0: The mo- the motivation is dollar because, and, and here's why that's happening. Okay, there was a time when uh, I'm probably a little older than you, but there was a time when I was a when I was a young when I was a boy, and during that time, CEOs for corporations would stay with a corporation for 20 years. They were there they were there to manage for a lifetime very often. And so but now what we have is we have something called big profits, huge risk and what it's a new mentality that CEOs carry. And what happens is the CEO comes onto a company and they say I'm only going to be here 3 years. So let me maximize my profits in those exactly. 3 years. Let me get my biggest golden parachute. Let me get all this, let me get get this behind me. And yes, I'm taking a risk, but you know what? I'm going to be gone when that risk manifests itself into obvious.
1: When the problem. pool hits the fan, they're gone uh, with their golden parachute.
0: They've moved on to the next one. That's the yeah. new mentality of CEOs. This is what they teach in NBA schools in the most Ivy League places in the country right now. Right. They yeah. don't intend a CEO to be there for
1: life. Right. Right. And you know, and, and the point is, and I'm not I'm not trashing Snickers because it's America's number one selling candy bar and I like a good Snickers now and then. But I think it's like there has to be responsibility with everything. And I and I'm sure the manufacturers, they're not saying just you know that's a meal replacement whatever like yeah enjoy your candy bar but when you look at the data and you're in the brand management mode you're saying how do i maximize the amount of candy bars that my target market is going to consume so that that gets us it's business and it gets us into trouble because there's no civics involved with how the corporations because the shareholders how they make decisions so let's Let's weave it around back. Here, here it is.
0: Capitalism is the best system in the world. Okay. It is, it is a marvelous system. It works. The only time it doesn't work is when you have rogue entities interfere with, with the delivery of a product. It might be tampering with regulatory. It might be lying to the American public about what the product is. It might be pushing the product through, uh, through ugly politics rather than straight up arms link transactions bribery name it capitalism works compared to any place in the world and you're going to come back capitalism is one of the best systems but but we have got a responsibility if we're going to engage in capitalism as a corporate manager or a CEO we have to we have to appreciate we have to pr- appreciate how wonderful the system can be Yep. By playing by by playing by the rules
1: and having some uh, consciousness about it. Let me let me ask you this. Let's as we move to opioids, I had uh, because I, I as a I, I've never had an issue with it. And I know it's a huge, huge problem. And I think you were the same way. And you got into it. And you realized, oh, my God, what's going on? So let me give you a, a quick story. I had uh, two robotic surgeries about six years ago, and after the first one, I didn't want to take the the heavy-duty stuff that they give you as a painkiller, so I I stuck with kind of the -the over-the-counter stuff, and man, I was in unbearable pain. And the next time, boom, I took the meds, and I took them, and I got out of the hospital, and I took them one more day, and I stopped, and that was the end of it. And I always wondered, like, how did I didn't feel anything. I'm like, how do people get addicted to this stuff? I I don't know. So what is what's yeah. going on with yeah. here, how here do people is. get sucked into this vortex of addiction?
0: Here it is. Um, it takes seven days for you to become addicted, and you may not. You, some people have a little bit longer uh, uh, resistance to that. But after seven days, if you put it, uh, if you start saying, okay, what is the human body doing after seven days? It's already it's already gearing for withdrawal. In other words, at seven days, you there will be symptoms. There, they'll they'll be masked. You won't even recognize them. But they're classic textbook symptoms of withdrawal. All right. So the industry knew that, and the industry created uh, what they did is they went out and hired a bunch of biostitutes. And that is a biostitute is a cat that works for Yale, and Yale, and he'll he'll sign off on anything. He or she will sign off on anything if you pay him the right amount of money. So you pay a guy at Yale or Harvard or Princeton, wherever, and you write the article. The industry actually wrote the articles. And then they actually had the these doctors and scientists sign off on the article mm-hmm. as if it were true. And they would pay them half a million dollars, a million dollars to put their name on the article. So all of a sudden, doctors didn't understand how quickly a person, any person. Now, God bless you. I'm glad you made your way through it. But I talk to people every day. I talk to kids that, you know, they hurt their ankle playing football. They've never had any drinking problem. They're great students. They're, you know, they're top of their class in every regard. They're great kids. And then they're on the, then a, then the doctor gives them 90, gives them 90 Oxycontin. And at the end of two weeks, they're totally addicted. That's not their fault. Understand right. You understand this is opium. There's nothing special about this. This is a narcotic. It's opium.
1: Let me ask you a dumb question: though. Are people getting? I mean, when I I t- took the products, I it was it just numbed the pain, and that was it. I didn't feel anything except mm. an absence of pain. When people are getting addicted to these opioids, are they getting high?
0: Yes, they 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 will actually, whether you know it or not, your dopamine level when you were taking that was being affected. Okay. And had you stayed at it longer, I don't care whether you're Superman, Robert, I don't care what kind of self-control you have. Your body takes over and you're, and it's not a matter of saying, hey, I really like the high. You don't have a sense of, hey, I'm becoming an addict. You wake up one day and you say, God, I can't, you know, my mouth's dry. I, I, I'm mm-hmm. depressed. I, I don't have any energy. My body aches. And then you take another opiate and you feel better. If you, for example, let's say you have an alcohol problem. You can go to Betty Ford, you can dry out and it doesn't, your dopamine level is fine. But with this, it takes three years. Once you've you've hit the addict level, it takes three years for your dopamine level to return to normal. So you see everything gray, you see everything awful, you see, it's, it's it's a prison. So these, but see what I'm telling you, I told you about the attorney generals, the attorney generals knew all this. The industry knew all this. All, the, all you had to do was put a competent investigative journalist on it, and they would have known all of it. But the industry, you know, as I say, corporate industry media was how, dysfunctional. How,
1: how about the doctors? I mean, don't you need a prescription? Because usually when you get a prescription for these, there's a, there's a you know termination date on it. How do people keep going? Yeah, yeah, okay, this? so the
0: doctor that prescribes an opioid, you understand, the doctor was told for five years— that we've done clinical studies and it shows that, ki- that people do not become addicted. They actually said that in their literature. Now, they phonied up the literature. It was all a lie. So in the medical profession, there's something, it, it's called, it, it, it's, like a, it's like a knowledge curve. The knowledge curve is it takes five years. Some people say seven years. For once a myth is put in place in the medical profession, it takes five to seven years before that myth can be undone, and so what the industry knew was if we tell this lie really aggressively at the beginning of all this, that it's going to take hold, and it's and we're going to be in the business for at least seven to ten years. That's exactly what happened. They contemplated it; it was part of their plan, and so sure enough, they were right. So these people that these people that. Uh, that blamed doctors, Do- look, it wasn't the legitimate doctors that were part of the problem. It was, it w- w- what happened, Robert, is the industry created what they call a glut. Now, here's what I mean by that. Okay. A town that I'm gonna try, Hawthorne, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go to trial in Nevada this summer. In Nevada, a uh, town called Hawthorne, right out, You know, well, actually, I'll be trying the first case in Clark County in uh, Las Vegas. But there was a town, Hawthorne, that had 4,000 people in the town, and the industry put millions of millions of pills into that city of four thousand people. Now, obviously, four thousand people can't absorb millions and millions—six, eight, ten millions worth—they can't absorb pills like that, right? right? So, what what they did there, Robert, is Hawthorne was nothing more than a delivery point for illegal use. In other words, they knew in the industry that there were people that were using it illegally, but the industry internalized that illegal use as part of their business plan. They said, yeah, we don't have any control over people doing illegals, but hey, let's continue giving them pills. So, let's so, break okay. let's break all the rules, which they did. They broke all of the rules and created this, bl- this glut in a place like Hawthorne, and then the pill mills popped up, the illegal traffic between West Virginia and Nevada, you know, it, it fired up. But you understand, they knew that. The industry knew that and internalized that awful thing as part of their business plan.
1: Okay. It's uh, Guys, Guys Radio. Our special guest is the powerhouse, Mike Papantonio. I'm so enjoying this conversation. And, Mike, I'm taking a position of asking some questions uh, that I think that our listeners might want to ask because not everybody is as uh, affected as... Uh, You know one-on-one with the opioid crisis but people really need to know about it i have not been affected and that's why i'm asking these questions for myself and also on behalf of our our listeners so so thank you for bearing with me so it sounds like that everybody's involved in this from the from the uh developer to the corporations that do the distribution to the companies involved in the distribution chain all the way through to the end user, the consumer, and I guess in some instances it's the you know the uh, physicians also have some type mm. of a hand in this at some in some way. So it must be very tricky. How, how do you how do you tackle all of that, and then how do you kind of protect yourself? Because I'm sure with all this money at stake, people get riled up if somebody's trying to like uh, you know kill the goose.
0: Well, we filed uh, the the consortium that I put together here in the United States, a consortium of four law firms, five law firms filed the first major case that was filed in Ohio. We did that. And we did it knowing that this was going <laughs> to it was going to fire up a lot of enemies and certainly we've done that. But that's what we do for a living. I mean, you you can't, you know, you can't be afraid of that. This is what we do. And so right now as we sit here, I mean, you know, probably Lord knows how much our consortium is, has, has spent. I mean, the total consortium, what they call the, the National Litigation Consortium, has probably spent in excess of $100 million already. And so the first case that will be tried probably, I'm guessing, will be the case I try out in, uh, in Las Vegas. Uh, uh, a guy named uh, Robert Eglett. And myself, Eglett is the is the lawyer that just handled the massacre uh, of MGM massacre out in Vegas. He and I will try probably the first case to actually go to trial from beginning to end. And the importance of that is this is what I love about it, Robert, is in Vegas, in excuse me, in Nevada, there are laws that say a judge cannot order anything sealed. You see, they can't order if we, all these bad documents are going to be coming in, all these depositions I've taken that show the conduct of these companies. A judge can't, a judge can't seal that up. So for the, and, and, and by the way, Nevada is one of the, one of the few places in America that has that law. So all of a sudden, all of this stuff that the industry has tried to hide for decades is going to be out and the, the, the American public is going to understand exactly how awful this story is. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so sometimes, you know, you you sometimes, Robert, you reach um, you know, you reach those moments where there is actually some somewhat of a leap in the culture, the progress of a culture. I remember um, I wrote a book one time, it was called In Search of Atticus Finch, and I had a guy named Morris Dees, who you've probably heard about. He started the Southern Poverty Law Center as just a wonderful trial lawyer and really aggressive trial lawyer, and he he probably had such a big impact on the civil rights movement in America. And, you know, if you listen to him, his theory is that there's no one event that changed the civil rights balance in the United States. It was, it was a series of events, a series of small events. It might have been you know, uh, Rosa Parks in, a, in the mm-hmm. back of a bus. It right. might have been four characters down in Miami at a
1: diner that right. wanted to be served. It's got, it's got to start someplace.
0: Exactly. So, and, all, so. and, and everything converges. And all of a sudden, when all of those small things converge, you sometimes have a major leap in the way that culture and society regards that event. Okay. And you have
1: change. Uh, do you have a uh, kind of a, is there a template for, for, I have two questions. One is, who do you represent? And number two, um, is there a template in terms of how you go after one of these bad actor industries, whether it's opioids or tobacco or who, whoever might be, quote unquote, considered that. That's just the term. But uh, in terms of, okay, so those are the two questions.
0: Yeah, so uh, <laughs> last week, as a matter of fact, Wall Street Journal did a story on that template it's something i started out in uh, in, in vegas again uh, for 20 years i've had a an organiz, uh, i've had an organizational meeting for all of the best trial best trial lawyers in america they meet out there it's called it's 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 a mass tort organization and they're specialists in understanding how do you take on Merck or Pfizer or DuPont or Dow Chemical or BP or how do you take on the biggest corporations in the world? And there is a template, there is a way you go about doing that. And so that's what we that's what we try to improve. And for 20 years, I've been having that meeting twice a year in Vegas. Uh, it's uh, you know, and and as I say, we bring in the best trial lawyers. We think about. How do we take on, for example, BP? Remember, BP just mm-hmm. destroyed an entire ecosystem. I mean, just massacred an ecosystem right where I live. I live in Pensacola, Florida. It hit, hit Pensacola all the way over to Texas. Well, you know, that that's not the same. It's not, not going to be the same for 100 years. Right. And so the question is, how do you handle a big environmental case like that as a mass tort? And so we have meetings and we talk about, we, we put our minds together, we put our resources together and we figure out what's the best way to go after BP. And in the end we succeeded, but it was a war, man. I mean, it was a total war. There was a day when we didn't have such an organization where you didn't have a central place where everybody met and discussed the importance of how you handle a particular case. So the template, your, your observation is completely correct. There is a template. It varies slightly, whether it's an environmental case, whether it's a, a, a wall street, case, whether it's a pharmaceutical go kill' them kind of case, dangerous drug kind of case, they all vary. but there's a template.
1: do you find uh, Mike, what what's let's let's put it this way. You've got your arms around the opioid situation. Obviously, the problem hasn't been solved, but it's being addressed. What do you see on the horizon? Is it gliophosate? Is it the food? Is it monsanto? yeah, yeah. Is it, what, what's, what's next? it's
0: interesting at three o'clock today, I'm doing an interview uh, with a national uh, network on 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 Roundup. Okay, mm-hmm. Roundup is is huge. There's two things that you really want to pay attention to. Uh, Roundup glyphosate. Understand, is just one part of the problem. Yeah. Roundup is a component, a total component. That's what kills people. It's not just the glyphosate. It's the additives with the glyphosate. So you're going to hear a lot about Roundup. Uh, matter of fact, there's a document, a Japanese documentary company that's I'm going to be meeting with in two weeks. They're trying to get their arms around around the Roundup problem in in uh, in Asia, because they don't know anything about it. And so it's heavily used in Asia, because what these companies do is they move according to where there's the least bit of light on them. You know, mm-hmm. they hate light. It's like uh, it's like a bunch of cockroaches. You know, you kick over a rotted log and a bunch of cockroaches come moving out right. to find the next log. That's how a lot of these corporations operate. Certainly, Monsanto does. So, um, so yeah, that's one that you ought to pay attention to. The other one that you ought to pay attention to is C8. And that is one that, uh, there's a, a movie out right now. It's about, uh, it was taken from the movie that I told you about. Um, it was taken from The Devil We Know, which is a great documentary on Netflix. And this movie is in the, in the theaters, it's called Dark Waters. And it's about, it's about the lawyer who brought that case to me to try. Now in the movie, we're not mentioned, but understand we're the people who actually tried the case. Robert, God bless his heart, is a great lawyer, but he's not a trial lawyer. So it's, it's putting together everybody's, you know, his specialty was building a case and he built an incredible case against DuPont and will change, will change the way that we think about things like Teflon, and 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 hopefully people will wake up and understand there's there's probably C8 in their drinking water, and what does that mean to them? How does it affect their family? So, so those are two that I think are emerging pretty quickly. Um, Juul, of course, I think we got ahead of Juul. It won't be another tobacco. We'll solve the Juul problem and get that product off the How market.
1: About, you know, you mentioned uh, we touched on uh, I think alcohol briefly. Um, I noticed in an ad, and I worked in the business for many years, uh, uh, I saw a new ad, and they actually, one of the consumers in the ad drank a martini. And it used to be the kind of the unspoken law where nobody can drink the product in any advertising. And now, all of a sudden, I noticed, uh, I think it was Aviation Gin, where the gal from the Peloton it was, it had the connection with the Peloton ad. Yeah, that yeah. She she downs a martini. And I've never seen <laughs> that. There is a self uh, governing uh, uh, group called Discus for beverage alcohol, but I'm, I've am i never seen that before. What What's going on with the beverage alcohol business? It seems like the rules are getting stretched and stretched and stretched now where you have all these different types of products coming out, where these Alka-Pops, you've got these seltzers, yeah, these hard yeah. seltzers, yeah, it let just me, keeps going.
0: Right. The, the, what, where that's coming from is the lobby industry and the ad industry has gone to Washington and to the regulators, and they said, wait, let, let me get this right. You have, you have, what, four or five states right now, Their marijuana is totally legal. You know, you can sell marijuana, but I can't advertise in a kind of an unbridled kind of way, alcohol. So uh, so, so that's part of the argument that I'm hearing. I'm familiar with what you're saying. But it's, it's how things, it's how regulatory erodes things. Now, let me give you a backstory to what you just said. In a typical kind of what I call a lo- a lobby onslaught, or it's a lobby, or it's a it's a legislative onslaught, might be something that uh, Alec does, or the U.S. Chamber of Commerce does, or you know, Associated Industry does. What what you find is you you start finding the erosion of the regulatory agency, and they do that by by offering great jobs to the regulators. <laughs> right. In other words. It's like, Joe, we know you're in charge of regulating alcohol, but gee whiz, listen to our story. And oh, by the way, Joe, you know, when you get tired here, I know you're only making 200,000 a year. We'll pay you 800,000 when you come with us. So the power of that money has become so strong. It's become limitless. Mm -hmm and money money's driving this thing that you're saying it's interesting you raise that i i'm familiar with it and I, I, I i'll better understand the inroads that alcohol is making but you know it's again
1: because it's, the reason i mention it because when i was in the in the business we we were doing an ad for a uh, 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 high-end vodka and we want to say use the word flawless and we got all kinds of flack legal flack like, you can't say flawless. Nothing's flawless, and we're we're like, but it's puffery, you know. It's just, and but the point is, that was such a minor thing compared to how the rules have been last, the elasticity of the rules, and how they've been stretched over the last last well, twenty years. It's so a whole different ballgame now.
0: Let me say something that'll probably sound it'll sound counterintuitive to this interview, but God bless them, you know, because most of us are so damned political correctness. You know, I think what you're seeing is a rebound on political correctness somewhat. People are tired. You know, you can't yeah. say this. You can't do that. You know, oh, my God, you we need some, what is it, uh, quiet space or something, you know, where mm-hmm. you, you can't, you, I can't listen to what you say because, you know, it's kind of that whole snowflake thing. I call it the right. millennial snowflake mentality. And we've gone so far with that that we're going to start seeing a little bit of a rebound. We're going to start seeing people like me. I mean, my God, you know, I've come up as a progressive commentator for 18 years of my life, 20 years, probably longer than that. And so all of a sudden, I'm listening to this. I'm going, really? You know, it's, it's a college campus sounds like it's right. a, breeding, a breeding ground for a bunch of, you know, a bunch of children, a bunch of, you know, diaper babies. And so there's, there is this, there's this, uh, this, this reaction to it. And I think if I'm in the industry and I'm trying to say, aren't you tired of being told that, oh my God, what you say hurts my ears so much that I, 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 I'm just, I, just, I can't take it, that I'm so weak, I can't take this. What what you're going to see is if I were in the industry, I would be taking advantage of that right now. Right. And I'd be saying, look, you know, let's, let's be honest. Every, the entire world is not a bunch of snowflakes. So we ought to be able to talk about what we want. So that's my attitude about mm-hmm. it. My attitude gotcha. is
1: people ought to be able to freely advertise. Okay. Our special guest on Guys Guys Radio is Mike Papantonio. He is a powerhouse attorney and writer. And do you mind just giving us a little bit of a headlight, uh, head, heads up as to headline, if you will? What is this whole thing with the human trafficking seems to be coming to the surface now? And I think people are really like, What? And yeah. uh, getting all this different information, like it's them. No, it's the elites. No, it's the you know the deep state. No, well, it's both parties. No, it's everybody. What the heck is going on? Can you give us a little bit of a peek behind the curtain in that? Yeah, and yeah what, what
0: ah. it is, What is what it is, Robert? It's business as usual. The first time that a friend of mine uh, brought a case in um in Texas, and it was it involved the trucking industry where you had girls that were being truck from California to, um, to the, uh, Eastern seaboard. And what was happening is you had a, you had a a, a, a trucking company that was all, they, they would have these truck stops. Okay. You'd, you'd go past this mega truck stop, you know, come on in, have a shower, watch a movie, sleep, mm-hmm. you know, eat. And so what they would do is they started bringing in mostly domestic, they were mostly, uh, U S girls that were, they were runaways. They were, uh, Girls that had ended up in 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 the area of being trafficked, and they would stop from they would stop from truck stop to truck stop all along the way, and um, the they would have them in these big these big eighteen wheelers, and it was it was a rolling bordello. Only these weren't prostitutes; these were slaves, and so that's the first thing that hit the that hit the. Uh, you know the market, and then we saw. So the case I brought up in Ohio, I brought uh, what they call it. It's an MDL case. It's where I'm asking that everything be centralized in Ohio. That we d- we decide what can the hotels do, what should they, how should they improve their standards and in in, in in correcting the problem. What can the airline industry do? If you walk into most airports right now, and certainly if it's not at your airport yet, it will be. Where you hear them talking about if you have suspicion that somebody may be be trafficked, report that in the airport. Mm-hmm. Well, that didn't start until we brought the case. So sometimes you just have to start the case and you, you what you see is some some positives come out of that. Atlanta, for example, Atlanta was a hub uh, for for airplanes all over the world. And so they would land in Atlanta and they had a huge, you know, they had hotels all around the airport. And they would put, you know, these trafficked girls in the hotels and people would fly in from Sweden and France and all over the world, spend two days there with these trafficked girls and then fly out. So there's all kinds of ugly edges to it. It's not, you know, it's not taken. The movie Taken was helpful. Uh, Liam Neeson was able to, you know, he was able to put a profile and at least a face to some of it. But most of the other trafficking that occurs throughout the country is very different it's it's okay. very well organized and
1: uh well looking forward to your book on that L- last topic and then uh, we'll wrap it is uh, what's your views on cannabis i just moved from new york to california and here it's legal and you can get gummy drops with thc in them and everything and mm. it seems like you know in my, in my opinion and i i'm not super educated on it but you know it's it's taking it off the street and there's money to be yeah, made on well, it, but I don't like it being like, okay, gummies for kids or something like no, that. But no, as an no. adult, if you're going to take a gummy at home and watch a movie, like, so what? Right, uh, right. So exactly. where, where are you I and agree. where are we going? Where, where okay, are we going full,
0: full disclosure, I'm in the business. I, I, well, I'm involved with one of the licenses in Florida. We started the, um, have you, maybe you've heard of Charlotte's Web. Charlotte's Web was a, it was a low THC that we uh were involved with getting it on the market and that we started that because children who were suffering from epilepsy could take the charlotte's web and they would go from having 50 50 seizures a day to zero so we saw a real we we saw a real great aspect to it what we've done with it is we've changed it just a little bit we're trying to find out how does it affect athletes how what does it do for concussions mm-hmm. how does it affect how does it affect uh, mood swings we have a we just happened in pensacola to have a a, a, a an incredible. As a matter of fact, they were on the cover of Time magazine. Um, it's a it's an institute that's always looking for alternatives to for for treatment. They as a matter of fact, they're right. leading the world in robotics right now. But they're along with the robotics, they're trying to figure out how when a when a serviceman comes back from the United States and they're suffering from PTSD, what level of uh, what, what level of THC should they be subjected right. to? How do, how do we make it positive? How do we treat them? So okay. yeah, I think it's real positive.
1: Okay. Um, all right. Our special guest, Mike Pampantonio. Mike, you are, you are tremendous. And I uh, thank you so much for being on Guys Guys Radio. Tell us where we can find more about your books, your uh, radio show, Ring of Fire Radio, and also your TV work. Yeah, so
0: the books are easy to find. Amazon, I always suggest, because they get them to you fast, and they give you the best prices, but they're in Barnes and & Nobles and other places. But um, as far as a TV show, it's on, uh, it's, it's, it's on all, of all things, Russian television, because it allow, they allow me to say what I want to say. Cool. <laughs> so I've, been do, I've been doing that for about four years, so the things you and I are talking about right now, mm-hmm. you realize, Robert, there's no way we could possibly talk about these things in, in corporate, in corporate media. So with uh, America's lawyer on RT America, I'm able to talk about these very things that you can find that anywhere. I mean, it's on direct TV, I think channel three, two, one on direct TV and, uh, shows all over the world. So, uh, And so, so I think there's two pretty good sources for you if you want to keep up on some of these topics.
1: Fantastic, Well, listen, guys guys. you're radio here. We always want to bring in new ideas, and we want to shed light on things that areas that are going to impact people's lives, whether they're that close to it or not. In fact, you know, I'm not that close to the opioid situation, but I know it impacts our culture. I want to get it out there. I'm sure a lot of our listeners are much more aware of it than I am, but I want to bring the information out there from an expert. So thank you very much, thank you for the great work you're doing. Thank you for being on Guys Guys Radio, and I hope you'll come back because you're an amazing guy.
0: I'll be glad to do that, Robert. Thanks for the invitation.
1: All right. Thank you, Mike. Robert Manny's The Guys Guys Guide to Love is a fast-paced tale of flawed men and savvy women competing for love, sex, power, and money in the city where they play for keeps. It's the men's successor to Sex in the City. The Guys Guys Guide to Love is a sexy romp through the fast-moving, high-stakes world of Madison Avenue. Available now on Amazon and wherever books are sold. Okay, Guys Guys Radio, what an interesting conversation with our special guest, Mike Pampantonio, powerhouse attorney, who is an advocate for consumers, basically, across all areas of uh, sometimes corporate... Well, what do you want to call it, what the corporations are doing? Is sometimes are they oblivious or are they insidious? And I think the key learning there is we have to really uh, look, be mindful when making decisions as to what products to buy, what, uh, what things to use when it comes to our health, doing the research... Um, protecting ourselves so if it is something that does take pain away that we make sure we don't get to that threshold of we're getting close to where we could become addicted to a particular product and uh, we have to do that we have to take responsibility in that for ourselves and i think the biggest health lesson i've ever learned is you know the work that's done on a day-to-day basis in making choices what you eat what you drink how you think, how much rest you get, how much hydration. That's what it's really all about. Once we get to the doctor, it's like with your car. You bring your car and they're always going to find something. Your doctor, if they're doing a good job, they're always going to find something and attract something. And, you know, things happen along the way. And uh, if you have a great Western physician, that's fantastic. If you do some Eastern... Uh, healing practices also, that's cool too. And I think everybody's seeing that there's the best of both worlds to to promote longevity, if you will. So keep that in mind. It's Guys Guys Radio, your host, Robert Manny. We're here every Wednesday night on KCAA here in Southern California, 102.3, 106.5 FM, 1050 AM. And we are also replayed uh, on KCAA on Sundays at 2 p.m., you can find the show all across the internet. We download the podcast version of the show every Thursday morning. So we're on Apple Podcasts, slash iTunes, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Spreaker, Stitcher, TuneIn, Block Talk Radio, CastBox. You can stream it on KCAA. You can go to my website, robertmanni.com. You can listen to it there. And they're all available. There's over 390 shows now, and there's going to be more and more. And we're doing great, and we're growing. And you know, I really want to reach the people who can benefit from listening to the broadcast. And like I always say, it's really it's up to you to determine the information I bring forth and the guests I bring forth, how it incorporates, how they incorporate, and how their information incorporates with your life. Can you benefit from what you learn? And I think any new information, you can benefit from that, whether you decide to Follow it or not, that's a different story, but that's up to you. I'll bring the information and you decide what you want to do with it. Guys Guys Radio began with the source material of a novel, believe it or not, called The Guys Guys Guide to Love. It's about two dudes in advertising competing for love, sex, power, and money. There is an aspect of spirituality woven throughout the book. It's really about uh, bridging that deep communication chasm between the sexes and getting a kind of peek behind the curtain for women into the lives of how single guys roll. The book has been called The Male Successor to Sex in the City. I'm very proud of that. And I found that both women and guys seem to really like the book for different reasons. You can check it out on Amazon or any place else where they sell books. You can see all the reviews on Amazon, which are very, very good. Um, my website, again, Robert Manny, M A N N I.com. I've got over 350 blog posts about everything having to do with life. Love and the pursuit of happiness, and all kinds of information about me and the podcast and the radio show, etc. If you want to help the show out, I would ask you to do two things: one, consider purchasing the novel, good good Christmas present, good stocking stuffer, uh, the guy's guy's guy to love, and also if you could rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes slash Apple Podcasts, the show. That makes a big difference in getting our name out there because I'm bootstrapping this thing and I'm doing it to serve. So hopefully you'll uh, take a moment and review the show. And I'd love to hear from you also. I'm all over social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, etc. And again, my website, Robert Manny, M-A-N-N-I.com. We're kind of coming to the close of a year and a decade. And it's been a great one. I hope you've had a good one also. And I hope there's great memories there. And also so many new beginnings for you beginning next year in 2020. So until then, uh, we'll be back next week. Happy holidays. Merry Christmas happy kwanzaa happy hanukkah whatever else you're you're celebrating all good and remember guys guys finish first.
0: Guys Guy Radio.